Welcome to Making Resilience Cool, a podcast based on the resilience advantage, a 12-episode series created by U.S. Resiliency Council with the generous support of Optimum Seismic. The program addresses what resilience means to our communities, businesses, and governments here and around the world. I am your host, Audrey Liu, a student at Cal Poly Slow and an aspiring architectural engineer. Working with the host of the series, Evan Reese, the executive director of the USRC, I've been deep diving into the rich archive of interviews with special guests from various fields, such as business leaders, community leaders, architects, engineers, and experts in sustainability, sharing their insights on the importance of resilient design. Come along with me on my journey in learning more about resilient design and why it is so important in all of our lives. Episode 8, Going Green. Reduce, reuse, recycle. I feel like this phrase has been embedded into my mind since I was a kid. I remember in elementary school, we were given a mission to reduce our water and electricity usage at home. They even gave us one of those water spouts that reduces the water usage. Now, the reality of the importance of living responsibly in our environment is becoming clearer and clearer. Sustainability isn't just a goal. It's a necessity. Evan, how does the evolution of the resilience movement compare to the sustainability movement? Is there someone I can go to to hear more about this? You've hit on an important point, Audrey. Resilience and sustainability really go hand in hand. In fact, we at the USRC believe that sustainability actually includes both green and resilient design. As I like to say, sustainability not only means that we need to have a low impact on the environment, it means we need to make sure the environment has a low impact on us. Ben Stapleton is the person you should go to. He's the executive director with the U.S. Green Buildings Council Los Angeles, and he really gets the concept of that larger definition of sustainability. Ben Stapleton it is then. Hello, yeah, my name is Ben Stapleton. I'm the executive director with the U.S. Green Building Council Los Angeles. Can you tell me what the U.S. Green Building Council LA is and what do you do? Absolutely. So the U.S. Green Building Council Los Angeles, or USGBCLA, as we like to be called, uh, we're an independent nonprofit. And while we're affiliated with the National Green Building Council that runs the lead credential, uh, I'm sure you, you, you know and love, our mission is a bit different. Uh, we're really focused on accelerating sustainability in the built environment uh, for Southern California. Uh, we do that primarily through community engagement uh, and education. Uh, and really, you know, when I look at, at L.A., in sort of the greater context of, of not only California, uh, but the world, um, you know, I really feel like this is, a, this is a great place to address these issues. You know, we experience uh, a lot of the challenges that every big city faces, whether that's air quality issues, uh, water scarcity, traffic, food deserts. Um, but I actually feel like we have a lot of the potential here in LA to address many of those issues. Uh, you know, we have, we have a significant amount of capital. We have some of the leading uh, research and education institutions in the country. And one of the things I love about LA is that we have uh, some of the largest populations outside of their home country of, of nearly almost every culture in the world. I grew up in LA, so I know about some of those issues. But we also have a lot going on for us. I can vouch for the fact that we have the best food compared to other parts of California. There are so many different types of restaurants that showcase each culture, and so many different languages spoken. But tell me about the potential for the USGBCLA to thrive here. Uh, we have suburban and urban areas. Uh, so it really gives us the opportunity that if we can create a solution here and scale it within the greater LA region, it has a good potential uh, to migrate out to the rest of the world. 
So this program is about resilience and resilient design. And the USRC gives ratings to buildings based on their ability to survive and recover from earthquakes. Could you tell me about LEAD, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design? How did this program get started? You know, essentially, everyone needs a, a roadmap, right, and, and a guide uh, to figure out how to, how to get the structure in place to achieve goals. You know, if you think back to, you know, the, the, the 90s, uh, there just wasn't that in existence, right? People really need to figure out, you know, what was a, a shared common plan to address how do, we, how do we green an asset? You know, how do we provide some rigor to that process? Uh, and then informing that rigor, you know, the, the, the lead system, you know, has, has bronze, silver, gold levels. It has a base level. Um, that rigor allows there to be some ranking and some, and some ultimately certification on what people are doing and that it makes sense. Uh, we really needed that uh, early days uh, to give us uh, the guidelines to get to where we need to be. Uh, in here in California, we've adopted many of the principles of lead into a lot of our CalGreen code, our, our code here that guides us on the state level. Uh, and for good reason. Uh, but LEED continues to, to make amazing progress around the world in, in driving uh, folks to really improve uh, the sustainability of their buildings. The LEED program is definitely leading the way towards a more sustainable and resilient future. I'm curious, Ben, what does resilience mean to you? you know, resilience to me is really our, our capacity to respond to, to shocks and to, to bounce back from those shocks. Um, you know, it's 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 can be defined in a variety of ways. You know, there could be a capacity between us as people and, and as a community, and also that capacity within uh, our buildings and our, our infrastructure. Uh, but resilience to me is really that capacity to respond and, and adapt to shocks. Do you see a lot of overlap between sustainability and resilience? There, there's a Venn diagram of sustainability uh, and resilience, and I think there's a significant amount of overlap. Um, when I think about sustainability, to me, resilience is an embedded component of that, as, as is equity. Um, but some people don't necessarily see it that same way. But, you know, to me, in order to be a truly sustainable society or have a truly sustainable building, uh, that means that it's, it's resilient. That, that's how it's going to be sustained long term. Hmm. In order to have a truly sustainable building, that means that it's resilient. So it sounds like sustainability and resilience do go hand in hand, just like Evan was saying. This got me thinking more about that overlap. I know that there is an environmental impact when a building fails because of an earthquake, so preventing that will be pretty important. Ben, what is the determining factor when deciding to renovate buildings versus replacing buildings? You know, existing buildings are a huge part of, of this issue. Uh, in fact, I, I often think there's far too much focus on new buildings. Uh, you look at, at, I don't know what the exact replacement rate is, but let's say one to 2% of, of, of our buildings are new on an annual basis. Uh, we tend to focus on that and focus on the code that addresses though, those and, and very little on, on the existing building stock. Um, you know, from a sustainability standpoint, the, the highest and best use of an existing building is to find out how to use what, what's already there. Uh, you know, there's this co concept of operational carbon and embodied carbon. Uh, the operational carbon is really what it what it takes to, to to run an asset. That embodied carbon is the things that go into building, you know, that that asset. What components of the building would be considered embodied carbon? That's the concrete, the steel, the glass, the carpet, you know, all the elements of that building, those those materials, there's an embodied carbon to really create those. And one of the things I've been really encouraged by over the past few years is we've started to have a lot more transparency around the embodied carbon in materials. Uh, there's these things now called environmental product declarations or, or EPDs. Uh, and uh, we passed some legislation here in the state of California a couple years ago that's going to start requiring 
that we have EPDs in certain state-funded projects for things like like steel uh, and uh, and glass and, and things of that nature. Uh, concrete, you know, EPDs are really important. Concrete is is one of the more massive producers of, of carbon in the atmosphere, and there's starting to be some technologies now to really help address that issue. Oh yes, I remember. An EPD is an Environmental Product Declaration Report. It's a standardized document informing about a product's potential environmental and human health impact. Jessica Westermeyer talked about this in a previous episode. Tell me more about working with existing buildings. Um, so when we look at existing buildings, you know, it's challenging, right? You know, we've, we've got assets usually that, that, you know, have a value in them that we want to maintain. There can be a significant cost to retrofit those buildings. And so I, I think we need to look at the inflection points for those assets, whether it's, you know, pulling permits for doing some sort of remodel on something. How do we address the whole asset? Uh, I think we need to look at weatherization in, in an increased way and, and financing. You know, I think oftentimes the lens we've been using to look at, at real estate, frankly, you know, for decades now has been very flawed. You know, we haven't been taking into account the, the costs of climate change, whether that's increased uh, wear and tear on, on operations from, you know, more heat days and, and more dramatic weather events, uh, or that's, you know, the, the health of the occupants uh, in the buildings. Are there any benefits for the people that are living in or using the building if the building is considered green? There's so much data now that shows that the people who are working in, in green buildings with healthier materials and better ventilation systems are more productive. They're less sick. That's especially important now in this in this time of, of, of COVID. Um, you know, the model we've been looking at in terms of value has been flawed. And we need to start looking at, you know, what is the long-term asset value of this building for, for how it's going to weather the storm when it comes to climate change and how it's going to impact the people and their health who are, who are working and living in those buildings. Wow. Green buildings make people more productive? Sign me up. I'm sold. Who doesn't need help with productivity? Ben, with your expertise in pushing for the sustainability movement in LA, do you have any insight in promoting the resilience movement? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, this is very important. I mean, I think we've learned a lot of lessons from the, from the green building movement about how to go about this the right or the wrong way. Uh, one of the biggest things, I think, I'm, I'm an econ major, uh, you know, from undergrad, so uh, I think what hurt the green movement to begin with is that it was too much about this is the right thing to do. Uh, yes, it's the right thing to do, but we should be really focusing on, on the ROI, on that return on investment, and, and looking at the economic model. Uh, and I think that's a lesson that resilience can, can take from this. Um, I'll come back to some of what I said earlier just about um, looking at the, the impacts of climate change. You know, what are the true long-term costs to an asset? So, so it all comes down to the economics and not just the immediate impacts but also what's in it for the customer in the long run. You know, we can just look at insurance right now and, um, you know, how that's dealing with the wildfire issues in the, in the wildlife urban interface uh, here in, in our urban areas. Um, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for these long-term costs to society to, to fight fires, the cost of human life to protect these assets. Um, and, and the value of that asset isn't reflecting the true cost of society to, to maintain it. Um, and so I think for resilience, there needs to be a discussion around, you know, there's a tangible ROI for us to build a resilient asset versus a non-resilient asset. This is an asset that can better withstand earthquakes, uh, that can better withstand the impacts of climate change, that is hardened in the face of, of fire. Um, there should be financing benefits for that. There should be, uh, you know, additional value in the price of that asset because it is better prepared to withstand those, those challenges and those potential costs and the risk associated with them. So investment in resilience could have a direct economic benefit? 
Um, I, I think that model, you know, is, is a lesson coming out of sustainability. I think now we're starting to see more that, yes, people are willing to pay more for green assets, that, yes, there's, there's a, a lower lifetime cost of maintenance for green assets, and the people are healthier in those buildings. That's increasing the value that's perceived and the actual real value of, of green buildings. Um, in resilience, we need to, to do the same thing and really focus on that ROI uh, and have this not be about, hey, this is, you know, this is the best thing you should be doing to prepare yourself in the event of a disaster. It should be like, no, this is what's increasing the value of your asset long term uh, and giving you a better portfolio. Sounds like green design and resilient design working together to create sustainability could have a big impact on people's lives. We need to prioritize educating people about this. What would the first step be? No, it's a, it's a good question. And, and you know, first of all, we need to be working together. There's no shortage of good work for us to be doing, especially right now. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see accelerated impacts of climate change. You know, even what we've experienced with this pandemic, I think, makes the case for the time is now and we need to see increased collaboration. Um, I think awareness and education are big parts of this. Uh, one of the things we've been doing a lot of work on lately is is developing targeted niche education programs to really provide certificates and value for workers so they can demonstrate that they have more capability in the face of some of these challenges. As an example, we have a green janitors program that uh, really works with, with the janitorial staff to empower them, that they're the ones that decide whether a building is green or not. What does it take to become a green janitor? It's a 30-hour long training. We've developed a COVID module on top of that. Uh, we've seen a 5% uh, energy savings in the buildings that have had their their janitors go through that training, and we've graduated about fourteen hundred janitors now. Um, you know that's just a small example in in the janitorial space where we're empowering people, giving them context around the work they do. Do you see this program expanding more or even to other occupations? We're actually doing a similar pilot program now with gardeners and landscapers uh, that's focused on native plants, on integrated pest management, water conservation. Um, you know, we're giving them a certificate when they get out of this class, and, and we're also giving them the knowledge of how do you communicate this to a potential client, to a potential employer, uh, because that's going to create value in them, that's going to make them an advocate, and that's going to make them aware of, of the work they're doing. And now that's not only impacting their own health, but impacting the world around them. I think we have a huge opportunity to do that in, in construction, in the trades, uh, in engineering, uh, in, in these other sectors where, you know, we don't need someone to go to a, a, a you know, two-year, uh, get a two-year degree or a four-year degree, we're talking about targeted education, you know, 10 hours, 20 hours, whatever it is to get someone enough of knowledge, we test them on it and give them something of value, a certificate that they can have. What are the incentives for completing the certification? What would they be able to do with it? Communicate the value of what the work they're doing so they can make more money, their client will feel comfortable hiring them over somebody else who maybe doesn't have that certificate. Uh, we're doing some similar work right now around wildfires and looking at, at best practices for contractors to, to harden homes. Um, you know, it's so important to, to have that education. How would the certification work best to benefit the community? Beyond the knowledge of the certification, what else would you suggest? The, the other thing I would say is, is really key is really looking at a project from the very beginning at the sustainability or resilience of that project as, as a core component. You know, we see this all the time where, you know, people, they're working on a great project, they've, they've done design, you know, they've gotten some of their construction docs. Maybe they're in some way into construction and say, hey, we want to make this asset green now. Well, it's, it's, it's too late. Uh, it, you know, you're starting this when you're halfway through the process. It's going to cost you money. 
because you're going to have to look to more technology solutions maybe versus design solutions or other things that are that are kind of supplanting the process in the wrong way. And then those people come back and they say, oh, well, it costs us more money to, to add green to our project. Well, of course it did. You, you looked at it when you were already down the line in your process. We need to start from the very beginning and looking at a design. How is this going to be resilient? How is this going to be green? That will allow you to do things from a cost-neutral standpoint. These things actually don't cost more. The problem is, is the process we go about it with and, frankly, our, our ineffective communication oftentimes as, as just people dealing with each other uh, on projects. Evan, Ben had a wealth of information of how green design and resilient design relate to each other to create sustainability. They really do go hand in hand. Exactly, Audrey. Both are complementary. And in fact, both are necessary if we're to achieve a truly sustainable future. When we make both priorities and use active and collaborative communication right from the start, the results can be win-win for everyone. Cool. So who's going to be our next interview? Well, this conversation about long-term benefits is one worth studying more deeply. It's something that can impact the decisions we make on a much broader scale than just a single building or a development. Like in the case of a city, where there are so many interdependent issues and choices to be made that have to consider long-term impacts, costs, and benefits. Aaron Gross is the Chief Resilience Officer for the City of Los Angeles. He's the one to speak to about this subject. Great, looking forward to it. For more resources and information about Ben Stapleton and USGBCLA, or for links to the Resilience Advantage series, check out our website. Thanks for joining me and listening to Making Resilience Cool, a podcast based on the 12-episode Resilience Advantage series created by the USRC with the generous support of Optimum Seismic. Join me next time as I delve more deeply into the incredible archive of interviews from that series with engineers, architects, innovators, business leaders, and community leaders talking about everything you could possibly want to learn about what resilience really means. Next episode, I'll be deep diving into the Resilience Advantage interview with Aaron Gross.